I'm Richard Lloyd-Jones, and this is Thinking with Somebody Else's Head. Einstein made serious mistakes in equating energy with matter, and thereby giving us the scientific justification for tearing up the planet looking for more material to extract energy from. His theory also single-handedly put the damper on space travel when he linked everything to the speed of light. If we have to propel a spacecraft at that speed, well, how will that be possible? And even then, it'll take a few million light years to get anywhere interesting. You can see how that dampens enthusiasm for space exploration. Now, Einstein wasn't a bad guy, just inverted. However, he did say some good stuff, too. Like how we should never lose our holy curiosity when contemplating the marvelous structure of reality. Somehow that touches poetry, doesn't it? And makes a case for how science shoulders up to art when it's at its best. Norberto Kepi maintains that art is actually the basis of civilization, essential as the main pillar of any advanced culture. And art brings with it an implication of beauty and goodness, something we too often neglect in our modern technological paradigm. Work, art, and Occupy Wall Street, today on Thinking with Somebody Else's Head. You who listen to us regularly will know that I love to get feedback from you. You can drop me a line anytime and let me know how our shows are hitting you. I truly love to know what you're thinking. Joneshealing at gmail.com is my email. We sent out a quick survey of our loyal listener base just after New Year's, and if you're interested in giving us your feedback in a quick survey format, I can certainly zip that off to you. Just need your email to do that, of course. By the way, if you have any concerns about how your info will be used, let me reassure you. In a very pre-1984 way, I never sell emails or share info people send me in any way other than trying to make our work on this program more relevant and useful to you. You know, the virtual world is a very different environment from the radio world I grew up in. We Internet radio hosts don't have so much contact with our audiences as we used to in our terrestrial radio days, so please know that my invitations to you to participate with us are only designed to fill the vacuum I sometimes feel in putting our program out there and then missing the response. So a long-winded way of inviting you to participate more directly through email or on our Thinking With Somebody Else's Head Facebook page, you can like us there, join us, or on our site at HealingThroughConsciousness.com. Every Tuesday night, I participate in a reading group based on Norberto Kepi's work. I'm joined by a number of North Americans to consider the relevance and application of Kepi's work towards returning to a saner society. In our last class, Gilbert Gambucci, no stranger to our radio program, joined us to talk about his latest efforts at Occupy Wall Street, where he's living now, to introduce Kepi's solutions into the dynamic mix of protest, consciousness, and revolution going on there. I thought that discussion would really be interesting for you to eavesdrop on. You're going to hear a number of voices on this call, including me, Gilbert Gambucci, Diana Boylston, a teacher and musician from New Orleans, Bob Butler, who has put in extended visits with us in Brazil a couple of times over the last couple of years, Susan Berkeley, who's joined me on various Thinking with Somebody Else's head programs a number of times. None of these names will be mentioned before they start speaking, so just know that those are the people who will be speaking when you hear their voices. Hopefully you can distinguish the differences in their voices, too. As this is a conversation and not an interview, some references to things are left dangling a little and need some explanation from me before we start the program. Gilbert is talking particularly about his recent attempts to start productivist companies, 
based on Kepi's business model, which started in New York in the 1980s and has been honed to perfection uh, through Europe and now here in Brazil. Susan Berkeley makes a reference to a song called Dirty Chateau from the great Rye Cooter's latest CD, Pull Up Some Dust and Sit Down, highly recommended, by the way. He offers a very potent critique of our social malady done in terrific artistic style and played extremely well. I think you'll like Rye's. Uh, all of his work is fantastic. This latest one is really great. So when we return, we'll dive into our conversation when thinking with somebody else's head returns. In just a moment on the Stop Radio Network. Back in just a moment. The program is Thinking with Somebody Else's Head, proudly part of the Stop Radio Network and available through iTunes or from our site at HealingThroughConsciousness.com. Well, now I want to invite you to listen in as Gilbert Gambucci, Diana Boylston, Bob Butler, and Susan Berkeley and I talk about business and art and Occupy Wall Street. So, welcome to our conversation this week on Thinking with Somebody Else's Head. Maybe you should bring us up to date now a little bit, Gilbert, while we're, while we're listening. What's, uh, what's cooking? What's happening? Sure, yeah, just quickly, um, uh, a turn of the tables, really, kind of a surprise for me because, um, you know, last year there was never any mention of work of any kind, you know, co-ops or none of the, nothing like this. But this year it seems to be, like, uh, very much in focus. It doesn't get to, like, everybody in the, in the movement because it's very diverse and very widespread and all kinds of things going on at the same time. But there is certainly a focus now on opening co-ops. And this last um, weekend, uh, we had a three-hour meeting with them. It's the New York City Association of Co-ops with the uh, OWS uh, working group kind of trying to open a co-op or they're trying to open several of them what they, what they, they don't do like we do what they do is they open one for each kind of work you know one for the silk screeners they're trying to do one maybe for the catering people one for the printers and you know it's, it's kind of not very economical you know and but it was very interesting to see this dialectic between people who who know how to run a business and the OWSers who, who are really social activists, you know, two diff- completely different worlds having a dialectic, you know, and it was kind of nice to see for the OWSers to see how they're so far removed from the professional working world, you know, and the others, uh, the, the New York City co-op people are after money, you know, they're businessmen, but also like they're little, they're idealistic also, they, they've turned to opening co-ops so that they can have a more fair distribution of the profits, you know. They say things like, very close to pro- productivism, they say, um, like, we want where the workers contract the capital, and not the capital contracts the workers. <laughs> you know, you see, so they give, like, more emphasis on work than on, um, than on capital. But anyway, uh, co-ops are still uh, basically capitalist, you know. People who invest in the companies, they they earn money from that, you know, from the dividends of capital. And in productivism, of course, we don't do that. The only people who earn are those who work in the company. You know, they have their dividends, if you want to put it that way. You know, but um, capitalists treat it as a loan. So they're not they're not really productivism, as as Dr. Kepi has you know forged this way of doing things. It's kind of close to a co-op. It might it sort of looks like a co-op, 
but it's it's uh, completely it's neither socialism nor capitalism, and it's also more um, economical. You know, for example, for what I'm doing here is I've got three putting together three different groups: uh, renovators, and there's those carpenters, and a guy who does painting. Uh, that's more like uh, for the men, you know. And for the women, there's a cleaning service that we're trying to get up and going. And then there's like website designers, because these kids, they all know how to design websites, and they're very good at it. So January is a bit slow, and we're, we're, we're just getting started leafleting, putting the flyers out, you know. And one or another person come trickling in. We don't have a lot of discipline yet, but it's, um, it's happening. Today was encouraging. So that's where we're at. I'm hoping that the other cooperatives, um, if our productivism can get up and be going well, that they would be influenced by that because it's really more economical. You know, we share the same telephone, the same office space, uh, the same legal opening of the company. You know, it's kind of like an umbrella company for as many as you can handle. Many companies can come in. And co-ops never do that, of course. They just stay focused on one type of work. And in fact, we're distributing leaflets like right in, right in this area because it's a good residential area. How's that going over, Gilbert, uh, f- flyers? Because you guys did that back in the uh, 1980s. Is that still uh, having an impact? Are you noticing that people are paying attention to what you're doing there? January tends to be slow, and I'm trying to drum things up. So we're not in a, any kind of a rhythm of putting flyers yet. Yes. Been experimenting with this and that, another person... Uh, one or another has showed up a second time, you know, so I'm kind of I'm being very patient and putting something together here. And tell me, how are the people you're working with responding to this idea? Are they excited about this idea of businesses? Are you having a chance to to talk to them, or is it more just a, sort of the nuts and bolts of, of business these days? Uh, both, you know. People are excited about it. And, uh, in fact, the guy just called me, you know, just like a little while ago. He just got back from holidays. People are just getting back from holidays now even, you know. But just the fact that I'm ready, I've got everything ready here, you know. I've got an office, got a telephone, um, got 20,000 leaflets ready, uh, opened a company uh, to, so that we can have the name secured and a bank account and like everything's ready to go you know so i'm, I'm like all like <laughs> ready to jump all over it but nobody else is they're coming in like at a, one step at a time so i got to be patient and working it out it's very cool because it's very exciting this year is the year of uh, uh either the one percent is going to really take care of the entire planet for us or we get it back you know where is this idea of the cooperative movement? Where is this beginning, is this idea? Who's putting forward those ideas, Gilbert? Do you know? Is that clear? You know, whenever we start something, uh, that, that goes. Have you ever noticed that with Dr. Kepi's work? He comes yeah. out with an idea, and then it starts, I don't know what happens. Even, like, it starts popping up all over the place. And so all of a sudden, Dr. Kepi put a very strong emphasis on the on the companies. And so I'm just like all over trying to do my best to get it going. And then all of a sudden, there's a big interest in cooperatives here, you know. So <laughs> I don't know how to explain that. At first, I was kind of struggling with myself. Like, well, what's my role here? Should I try to influence these guys who are interested in doing a cooperative? Or should I just do the companies uh, my, kind of like myself, the productivism, you know? 
And uh, after this weekend and watching the discussions about it, I saw that the old WLSers, they want cooperatives. They see that we have to start working and getting some more depth to what we're doing, you know. So then I I decided I should be doing the two. We should have here like a kind of model of what is the productivism. And and then just just, uh, as much as I can go talking about the principles and the benefits of, uh, of doing this. And in what way exactly the productivism is different from both socialism and capitalism. You know, but first we have to have like a working model for people to see. Otherwise they don't get it, you know. So this is the objective. That's exciting, Gilbert, because what you're accomplishing is something we could never accomplish until you got there and we could do research on the ground floor. You know, we can put all our theories and try to distribute, but we, you know, with teaching, they say you take people where they are and then you bring them to where you want them to go. So you're down there and you're finding out what are their needs, what are the lack, what is it that they, they want and what is it that they don't know how to do. So you've just accomplished something in that short amount of time that any successful enterprise has to have in order to go for, you know, to go far. Yes, and no, I'm not looking for, like, um, some of the guys that were on the panel over the weekend were very sharp, you know, they're, they're like clever businessmen who went to cooperative type of functionings, you know. But I'm working with the OWSers, and, you know, it's, it's like another thing. Uh, I'm somehow attracting the better ones. At first I was worried about who I would attract here, you know. But what happens is those who are really have no intentions of ever working don't come anywhere near me. <laughs> They're kind of allergic <laughs> to that, you know. So it's kind of like a, more or less the better people who are showing up. And I, I'm, we are officially like what's, what's called um, an affinity group. That is, we're an outside group working within OWS. And so I'm working like within, with the people here. With the, with the protesters, with the activists, in forming this, these productivist companies. We've had a difficult time since, the, since Bloomberg's uh, psychotic crises attacking the, uh, the Liberty Square, you know. People got dispersed and living in all kinds of unnormal conditions, you know. So now to try to pull together people to get them into some kind of discipline to make a, to make a form companies, I'm seeing that it's not going to be immediate. Well, Gilbert, if I could just give you a little bit of feedback on what I see uh, it's one of the results of your work and obviously Dr. Kepi's work. A couple of reports have um, been released recently. Uh, one was released through Bloomberg, actually, about the 1% complaining to the 99% stop picking on us. I don't know if you've seen this report. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, no, I haven't. Yeah, no, it's very interesting because the, um, the highest paid chief executive officer, uh, Jamie Dimon, the, head, uh, the uh, highest paid chief executive officer among the heads of the six biggest U.S. banks, um, received a question at an investors conference in New York. And uh, he said, hey, look, acting like everyone who's been successful is bad and because you're rich, you're bad. I don't understand it. Uh, we can't denigrate the whole. Uh, we are the most productive. And they're starting to get very, very, very defensive 
about all this, what they, all this criticism is happening. And I would say that a, a lot of this criticism is like a vibrational weight they are feeling because of the work directly that you are doing and through Dr. Kepi, Dr. Kepi's work too, over, over many years. But particularly now, you are really particularly putting a focus on the pathology of power, the sickness of those in power, something that, that wasn't really being talked about before you went there very much. And so that focus is really is really touching them they're getting and you know these guys are like bullies so they can't handle any kind of confrontation one little confrontation and they want to start screaming and crying to their mother you know and that's exactly what i see happening now another thing that's uh, that i read today was about the civil war that's erupting on wall street as the financial elite start turning on each other so um, there's the, I think this is a direct result of this kind of spiritual pressure of focusing on the pathology of power that these guys are sick and uh, they don't like that. They do not like to be called that. They like to be doing their thing in the in uh, in the in uh, in the shadows and having everybody think that they're incredible and productive and phenomenal people and starting to really call attention to this has really been a good move. I think this is really having results now. I just wanted you to have that feedback. And that re- and that resonates, Gilbert. With I don't know the the name of it, but that assembly page that that uh, you communicate with people on. You said something very similar to that where you can see people, some guys trying to be more dominant than others. And, uh, and I'm paraphrasing now, but you, you basically said sometimes you have to confront them to silence them. So, and this is what's happening. When people who are dominant are confronted, normally one of two things happens. Either they really get aggressive or they, they start talking and they start backing down. Yes, in this case, these people are agents here in the meetings trying to disrupt as much as they can. And, uh, and I noticed lately they've been very quiet because uh, everybody kind of knows you know, who they are exactly. And um, so um, in order for them to stay and continue obser- observing, they haven't been put out, but the, anyway, they don't disrupt anymore. It's kind of like that that's happening. But I think uh, uh, Rich's observation was interesting. Bloomberg uh, admitting that he is the one percent. This is great, you know. They say, oh, "Stop picking on us, the one percent." So that right there, that division, they recognize that they are the one percent. We are the ninety-nine, and there's a big difference between the two. And it's also interesting, Gilbert, to see how out of reality they are. They either they really don't see it. Yeah. Or they They see it, or they see, worse, they see it and they want to pretend that it's not happening, which is even more unethical. But this idea that they can look at the world and say that everything's okay, this is a tremendous lack of ethics. So we see that the ethical issue is one of the fundamental issues. These guys are totally unethical, immoral uh, against all of what it means to be a human being. And you're, you're, you're really like sort of shining the light on that. And so I really appreciate your work in that respect. I think it's really great. Well, and also the comment that they make that um, they're the only productive ones and they're being criticized for being, everybody's picking on them because they're productive. I mean, what nerve that 99% of humanity doesn't work. 99% of humanity, you know, is working for them 
and they're sitting back. You know what I'm saying? That that really gets me. Yeah, if we stop buying their products for one week, uh, they'll find out who the 99% are and who supports who. Exactly. It's like that song, Rich, that you played for me, Dirty Chateau, about a, about a maid that's working for this rich guy in a chateau, you know, and it's really... And that's why in that article about it, you know, the, the, the commentator, the reporter said, you know, the balls on these guys, you know, know. To, to say uh, we're the most productive. I mean, if you look at, at that, that system of economy, it's totally unproductive. It's, cre- it's creating money from nothing. It's uh, inflating that with incredible amounts of interest and speculation and derivatives. It's totally unproductive. It's totally outside the real economy of work. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, there's being organized. On February 29th, is this year a leap year? I'm, I might be, I thought I saw on February 29th there's going to be action taken against corporations. It's not been specified yet. Probably um, some type of boycotting for some time. In order to, you know, as Dr. Kepi says, if people stop buying their product for one week, that's it, they're finished. Hmm. So I, I don't know exactly what this is on the 29th of February, if that's the it's exact date. Yeah, yeah, it's the end of February. I think. Yeah. Something's being planned already. Because these, uh, these people, they're really activists. They're social activists. It's, it's really it's fantastic. And, you know, living in situations that are, that are not appropriate. Um, and the character of people does get affected by, um, let's say, Reaganomics. You know, a society that is imbalanced, that, that influences the person. And so... Um, I, I found that I really don't get like upset with with the lack of discipline that I've been seeing so far in starting up the productivism, but just trying to help people to get more into um, into being regular about what they're doing here, you know, and see if we, people can improve and get you know get moving onto the thing, you know, uh, because the society is sick and this affects people. At the same time, these people are really idealistic. Um, we live in a sick society. And, you know, more people are, some people are affected by that more than others. But every, all of us are affected by it. I also love this idea of like an alternative society, Gilbert, because it's, you're not, you're not, um, you don't have to confront directly. I mean, in a way, it's a real confrontation of the way things are, but you create kind of a parallel thing and just ignore them. Let them, as Dr. Kepi says, leave them to their their arrogant uh, hate and stewing in their own hate. You know, leave them to do that, and we create our own uh, banks, our own businesses, our own society. Uh, it's a it's a really phenomenal example of how powerful is a therapeutic approach to social activism. I really like this aspect of Kepi's work. Yeah, that's the beauty of it, man. You know, we're going to marginalize the 1%, exactly what they've been doing with us for all this time, just by simply creating a, a society that is more just, more human. We want to service each other in uh, more interesting ways and not producing the same thing over and over and over and, uh, and not allow them to participate. You know, I was just thinking, don't, don't we all love to go to a little town like, like a place like, I'm thinking Kingston, New York was rich, you know, yeah. where, where it's a lot of small, charming shops, 
run by people, you know, and the proprietor, and you go in there, it's always so interesting, and you can spend hours browsing versus going to a shopping mall where you have to, like, you barely get out of there with your life, you know? <laughs> mm-hmm. So this, if this is going to be the world of the future, it's, it's going to be wonderful. Um, on, that ki- on that kind of a line, I was noticing lately, I always get surprised when a person that I've known for some time, I find out that before coming to Wall Street, he was an artist of some type, either a painter or a writer. There are many musicians here, like myself. Uh, There's all kinds of artists here, and many different types, like, you know, artists who make uh, visuals for behind a talk show type of thing instead of a fixed screen. Have you ever seen these visuals, these that kind of move, you know? Uh, what is that? It's not exactly laser, but, you know, all types of artists mixing art with technology. And I was just seeing that after this year, this war year, as I call it, of 2012, um, when the society uh, becomes ours again, I think, I, I think personally, just by intuition, that we're going to see an explosion of, of uh, uh, artistic renaissance. Because most of the people here at Wall, at Wall Street are artists, and so you know they're the ones who who get it. You know they want they want a more just society so that they can live in a in a more beautiful world. So I think 2013 is going to be an artistic uh, explosion, and not not in just the conventional seven arts, but in like how could I say unlimited types of art I think we're going to see for the first time in history because people combine their art with all kinds of different technological things and other other stuff. It's very, very creative. The people here are very creative and, and uh, the world doesn't quite know that yet. The, the amount of creativity that the activists here have. There's this enormous link, again, that you've talked about and Dr. Kepi talks about all the time between uh, a true society and aesthetics, this became clearer to me. I think this is what you're saying is, is really interesting because this is the, the basis of sanity is linked to art and goodness and beauty, you know. And I even get like a little bit surprised with myself. Like, why am I here doing these productivist companies? You know, I'm not a businessman. I'm a, I'm a pianist. You know, sometimes I wonder, well, it doesn't make sense. <laughs> but there are just things that we are... I think we don't really know what is a true civilization yet. And I think 2013, we're going to begin to see what it is. The real Belle Epoque. Long overdue. And so, so Diana, your, your, uh, your place is very much in that line, right, Diana? This artist who wants to, this is your world yes, too. Yes, and, and the thing that I was thinking of when Gilbert was saying that is people who are strongly artistic, and, and lean on that or somehow made a decision about themselves as I did a long time ago that that was the way that I expressed and created and communicated and even educated. We're not always good at business. And when you're saying all those people on Wall Street are very good at business, you know, very good at artists, they really, you know, it, there's nothing more common than a, than a poor artist. So there has to be a some some way to learn how to merge these two worlds. Because it doesn't matter how great you are at anything, artistically, in my opinion, you need, you know, it's a business. 
And that's something that I continue to work on because I realize that without that, it seems to be lopsided or inverted. Ah, uh, Diana, you just gave me an idea. You know, the artists don't um, combine, it's like water, water and oil, with uh, capitalism because it's exploitative. Neither does it combine with socialism, which is also exploitative. So maybe it's th- really through these productivism enterprises that we can get into what is a real civilization, you know, some justice in the, in the action aspect of the human being. Mm-hmm. So it's yeah. really essential, this productivity. It's not just something, uh, a better, more economical way to make money, but it's going to be like a, an avenue for people, people to be able to work with ethics, to produce according to what's in their being, you know, which neither capitalism nor socialism ever had, quite, quite to the contrary. Because many artists believe in a very elitist manner, you know, that they, they feel like, well, you know, I'm doing true art, so it doesn't matter if I don't get money. Well, that's really totally out-the-box thinking and not accurate either. So they have to learn that it's, it's nothing to be proud of that you're poor. And because you're rich doesn't mean, and because you're rich in talent or rich in expressing your talent doesn't mean that you should be poor. It's nothing to be proud of. There's a way to combine the two. Yes, it's fundamental, this this question, that people should earn according to the productivity and not according to capital investment, which co-ops still do. So this co-op thing really isn't the answer, even though it's closer to productivism. Uh, It seems to be drawing uh, closer and closer to the productivism until we get to that point where you stop this thing with people earning dividends because of money they invested. You know, you only earn dividends by your production, by your work. When, you know, when that flips, when that, when that enters, just that key right there, then it's going to be very, very interesting. Very then happy. artists will not be poor. Art and business. There are many things to reconsider about both areas if we truly want to live in a modern and enlightened society, something I think all of us have been dreaming about for many, many, many years. In the hearts and souls of everyone is this dream of a better society, of a better world. Our science of analytical trilogy is about that, and our radio program, Thinking with Somebody Else's Head, is also about that ultimate goal. I'm Richard Lloyd-Jones. Thanks very much for being with us. Our program, Thinking with Somebody Else's Head, is on the Stop Radio Network, and we are back next week to consider more of these fascinating themes. Talk to you then.